Hey, good afternoon. Welcome to Flight Suit Friday. We're here today to interview Coast Guard Aviation Research and Development Testing Evaluation. Um, we've got two members joining us today from headquarters, Commander Chad Thompson and uh, Mr. Scott Craig. So uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. Yeah, excited to have both of you here. Um, do you both want to start with a quick uh, just background and history? What what led you to your current position? And uh, just like a, a tiny peek at what what careers and what uh, what places you've been stationed in the Coast Guard so far? Yeah, and give us your uh, name as well and your intro so our listeners can uh, associate the sound. So yeah, like you said, Commander Chad Thompson, um, background as a 65 aviator, uh, academy grad from 03. Um, I did... Uh, time on a cutter and uh, a little bit of time in uh, deep water, unfortunately, before getting into flight school. Um, and then first air station was Traverse City, followed by Hitron. And then I t- took kind of an interesting departure that kind of a side plug here for those who might be interested. I had spent some time in the IPS program, the International Port Security Program had the opportunity to learn French and live in Europe and travel throughout Africa and the Middle East uh, inspecting ports. So not, not a typical thing for an aviator to do, but sounds like fun. Is, uh, a possible. Yeah, it, it was awesome, actually. Um, so I'd be happy to talk to folks about that if, if they're interested. Uh, and it is an option for aviators. Um, and now I'm in uh, the Office of Aviation Forces at headquarters, 7-Eleven. Um, I'm the UAS division chief, so it's, it's definitely been a, kind of a whirlwind uh, career so far, and uh, this tour is no exception. That's awesome. Well, uh, welcome, sir. We're excited to have you. How about you, Mr. Craig? Yeah, thanks. Um, Scott Craig, um, been with the Coast Guard almost 31 years, 27 on active duty, and uh, for my current job as a civilian, uh, uh, started out at Air Station Savannah uh, back in the early 90s, and then... Um, Polar Operations in Mobile, when we had that. Mm-hmm. Uh, followed that with um, grad school and a tour in CG-41, the Office of Aeronautical Engineering. Exciting. And went to uh, Air Station Clearwater as the EO, um, uh, flying 60s when I was there. Uh, then um, Air Station Kodiak as XO. Uh, then another staff tour. And then Air Station Elizabeth City as CO and uh, flew C-130s when I was there. And now doing the uh, aviation R&D program. You got a favorite uh, favorite tour out of that that long career, sir? Oh, man. Um, I mean, PopDiv sounds pretty cool. It, it, that must have been neat. I mean, being CO, of course, was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, enjoyed flying, I enjoyed flying the C-130 more than I thought I would. You know, I thought it'd be kind of boring, but it was really cool. Um, I would say probably Kodiak, though, yeah. overall. Yeah. yeah. Just so exciting up there. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was just, I, um, yeah, so glad I did it. It was great. I, I think that was my favorite tour. The EXO tour being the favorite, uh, I don't think we hear that too often. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Well, um, like I said, you know, just the excitement of all the stuff, not only operationally, but just uh, quality of life in Kodiak and all the, the cool things you get to do on your time off. Um, yeah, really, really made that a great tour. And, and, and just super people, too, you know, um, it's just a, I, I think usually it's got a, got a good group of people there, but um, yeah, I just really enjoyed the wardroom and everybody I was working. 
the air station. That's cool. Yeah, we're uh, recording in Bob's place right now, so I'm seeing if I can find whatever patch you might have up here on the wall for PopDiv. That's neat. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, why don't we just get right into the meat and potatoes? What exactly do you guys do? What's the uh, RD? And correct me if I'm wrong. Is it RD, T, and E program? Is that what you call it? Yeah. So it's the research, development, test, and evaluation. Um, and so I'm not going to touch on test and evaluation too much. Uh, that part of our office is working with the acquisition programs. And so they, yeah, so they, you know, develop the testing and conduct the testing and evaluation for new assets as they come online. Mm-hmm. Um, they did the Scan Eagle. Um, they recently did the uh, uh, work with the H65 Echo, so that sort of thing. On the research side, um, they've got people like me. Uh, I've managed the aviation portfolio, so I'm working with, you know, CG711, Chad Thompson, his co-workers, you know, CG41, CG1131, 931, all the aviation programs at headquarters, plus field units. And um, what we're doing is looking, you know, to develop R&D, an R&D portfolio, um, you know, looking at what does the fleet, what's the fleet going to need in the near future? What can we work on in the R&D program to make that happen? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I help develop the portfolio and then manage the projects uh, as they come around. Um and of course, right now, a, a, a lot of what we do is unmanned system related. So I, I more probably more than anybody in the building, I work. You know, I'm working with Chad Thompson and uh, and his division. Yeah, future of the Coast Guard. That's awesome. You you mentioned the Scan Eagle. I think most of our listeners are probably somewhat familiar with that. So that's a small. Um, UAS, I guess, launched from cutters and, and they do some patrolling for us. Uh, can you talk about maybe the Scan Eagle a little bit and then some of the other um, like UAS platforms or other R&D programs in the portfolio? Yeah, well, you know, so this is Scan Eagle's, you know, now an operational um, program, you know, uh, on all our NSCs or will soon be on, on our all our NSCs. I'd like to let Chad, you know, since he's more on the operational side, discuss that briefly oh awesome commander thompson yeah can you give us a primer on the um uh, scan eagle yeah no problem i uh spend most of my day talking about these different <laughs> programs <so. laughs> i'm uh, well equipped to answer that question um yeah so you're right the scan eagle we call it a medium range uas capability it's uh interestingly a contractor owned contractor operated uh capability or coco contract through in situ to provide that scan eagle to the national security cutter mm. specifically. So each of our national security cutters have that capability. Every time they deploy, they go out with four uh, in situ contractors. Plus they, you know, they bring the, the control system and the aircraft with them when the, when the cutter deploys. And it provides a, you know, we call it a, a tactical ISR capability for the cutter CEOs. Mm. It, it kind of expands their, situational awareness bubble um, larger than it would be just just by the onboard cutter sensors. And uh, so far, the cutter CEOs love it. I've even heard a couple say that they don't want to leave port without it. So it's a, it's a good capability. That's great. And one we're working towards expanding to, uh, you know, the future cutters, the OPC and the new C windows, when those come out and potentially onto leg- legacy assets as well. So you would fly that for what twelve hours at a time? What's their what's their endurance? Right. 
Yep, it's about 12 hours. Of course, it depends, you know, just like the 65, it depends on how much fuel you take on board um, and what sensor package you're carrying, based, you know, based on how heavy it's going to be. But uh, about 12 hours at, per uh, sortie. Is it uh, on the NSCs? Is it a pretty big footprint on the ship? Is this like you take a helicopter or a Scan Eagle or there's room to take both or depends on the cutter? That's a great question, actually. The uh, footprint of the system is, uh, is, um, something that we talk about quite a bit. We can carry both. Uh, it does deploy with the 65 and Scan Eagle at the same time, mm-hmm. um, on the NSCs. So the, the Scan Eagle basically takes up one of the hangars with the, GCU, that's the ground control unit, spare parts, um, uh, operator station, stuff like that. Um, and it can launch with the 65 on deck. Um, you know, we, we did some testing to make sure that that, that was going to be okay. But the, the big issue is the launch and recovery equipment for the Scan Eagle. It uses kind of a, a catapult system to launch the Scan Eagle, and then it uses a skyhook which is sort of like a small crane arm with a cable or rope hanging from it that the Scan Eagle just crashes into, and it has a little hook on the end of the wings. Yeah, (laughs) it's definitely a a controlled crash. It's uh, kind of shocking when you see it the first time. Yeah. Um, But the the little hook on the wing, you know, hooks onto that cable, and that that launch and recovery equipment is, you know, it's pretty big. Um, And as you know, Space on a on a cutter is limited, so we, yeah. we have some current efforts, you know, going to reduce that footprint. So I got a, a question for the two of you. I mean, um, obviously, the two of you stood a lot of duty in your time in the Coast Guard as well. What about using UASs, or is there any future for UAS for that middle of the night flare sighting? I got to go fly for the next six hours and bag out on something that I probably won't find. Or has the Coast Guard started to think about using that for search and rescue? Uh, yes, I, I can definitely address that question as well. Um, so for sure, you know, from our division's perspective, we would love to be using UAS for things like that. It's kind of a, a common sense solution when you can put an unmanned thing up into the air for many, many hours um, with more sophisticated sensors than in our current manned platforms. Um, you know, it's kind of common sense. Yeah. Uh, and so we, we frequently get that question. Why aren't we doing this? Um, and there's a few reasons, but the primary one as, as always is money. Um, that's, a, yeah, that's quite a roadblock. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also an additional roadblock is the ability to operate beyond visual line of sight within our national airspace. Mm-hmm. And how do you make sure that unmanned aircraft is not going to run into anything? Great point. Um, you know, as, as pilots, we do that with our eyeballs. Um, so these unmanned aircraft don't have pilots with eyeballs on them. So it needs some sort of sensor to detect other aircraft and then the ability to avoid them to prevent a collision. And that te- technologically, we're much there or very close to there will be within you know one or two years probably based on the you know the state of the industry um but also uh as far as regulations go there's there's more work to do with the faa and across the federal government to you know what's the regulatory framework 
going to look like to integrate UAS into you know our national airspace, and that so that's a that's another hurdle to to that kind of common sense solution. Yeah, makes and, a lot of uh, sense. Yeah, I guess I kind of forgot about yeah. that. Like most of the time, UAS are flying. It's like there's a TFR or something to provide separation. Because uh, like yeah, right. I guess we're seeing a void most of the time, right? Yeah, maybe they can do a yep. weather stipulation exactly. for us. Garbage West Coast weather. You're allowed to fly your your drone at night in the middle of the night. <laughs> Nobody else is going to be out there. Right, when no saying pilot would be out there. <laughs> yeah, <So>. Exactly. <laughs> we'll talk to the FAA about that. <laughs> um, but you know, I think this is probably a good point for uh, Mr. Craig to weigh in on the the R and D center um, is attacking this problem directly, actually, with the, the current program, like the Cenovoid. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so um, th that's probably our, our largest project right now because we realize that, you know, without the ability to detect and avoid other aircraft, we're really limited on how we use the UAS. Of course, the Scan Eagle, when it's on the National Security Cutter, is using the Cutter's air search radar. Um, but, you know, how do you how do you utilize that technology if it's shore-based? Um, and, you know, how do you get it? Um, the technology is definitely out there as the Chad was saying, but how do you get it down to the size and weight that we can fit it on these smaller 50 to 100 pounds, what we would call a medium range UAS um, and make it effective. So we're working on that pretty hard. Um, and yeah, I think we're you know probably close to a solution, but then we've got to get through all the FAA regulatory hurdles, which will probably take a few years. But yeah, you're exactly right when you mentioned, yeah, you know, that, that flare sighting or that first light search when the Hilo crews may be already bad from being out there the night before, um, or these, you know, these low probability searches, you know, uncorrelated maydays and, you know, things like that, why not use the UAS? Um, so that's where we're trying to get. We, once we get that detecting the void system installed, um, we, we really want to do some extensive land-based, you know, search and rescue type scenarios with those, uh, with those UASs. And we've got some up at, uh, RDC at the research and development center. Um, pretty capable uh, medium-range UAS that we've purchased and we'll be using those to do the test and evaluation. That's pretty cool. I um, I actually have done the FA, uh, what's it called, Part 107, like the small UAS operator course. So I'm a, a little familiar with some of the requirements, but you talked about the medium ones are uh, medium-sized UAS are over the horizon. Uh, we also operate some smaller ones that are shorter range, right? I think I've seen locally on base, we have a chief here working for some of the small UAS programs. Can you talk about what the Coast Guard are using on the small UAS side? Yeah, that, that's right. Uh, that's uh, Chief Tony Warnock. He's our 7-Eleven plant down in Mobile, and he's our expert on uh, short-range UAS, uh, you know, small commercial off-the-shelf hand launch type, you know, like quadcopters that you can buy from Amazon. Um, that's a, a really interesting program. And it's another one of those kind of common sense solutions that, you know, why not get this tool out there across the Coast Guard for all the different applications that you can imagine using something like that to get high definition video from an aerial perspective rather than, you know, calling up the air station to say, hey, launch a 65 to, you know, can you take some pictures of this ship that we heard is leaking in the port? Um, and of course the 65 can do that, but, you know, it's a much cheaper option to just have, uh, you know, have someone from the sector drive out this quadcopter, launch that, and he's going to get higher quality video um, from a much cheaper platform. And so, 
two years ago, we started uh, the Guppy program. We called it um, Group One UES Prototype Program Initiative. That's a mouthful. <laughs> yeah. It started before my time, so somebody got creative with that acronym. Yeah, that's great. Um, Had yeah. to fill some white space so, in the OER or oh, something. Oh, yeah. Definitely filling white space. Right. Right. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that program started out, and and uh, basically they picked a couple of, you know, systems that you can buy from Amazon and authorized them for Coast Guard use on a limited basis to about 20 different units. Of, of different types. So, you know, cutters, small boat stations, CEUs, um, those are some of the big early adopters. Um, and we gave them the system, we gave them some training and said, you know, go have fun and tell us how you would use these systems. Um, and they loved it, got, uh, you know, some good kind of anecdotal stories on how they were used and how they saved a lot of money and, you know, made the units more more effective, but there has been some recent concerns with uh, cybersecurity uh, related to those sorts of systems that have foreign parts in them, um, and DHS has actually prohibited the use and purchase of those systems um, that have foreign parts that could pose a cybersecurity concern. So we're in the middle of transitioning to uh, U.S.-made cyber-hardened systems that are, of course, more expensive. So there has to be some more rigor behind uh, getting the funding to buy them rather than just having units buy them at their level. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, wor- we're working on that, and uh, probably within the next year, you'll see some, some new fancy systems coming out. That's pretty awesome. I think you mentioned we, we've used them for uh, pollution response, and then I think I heard uh, locally they were using them for some inspections, like bridge inspections after collisions or, or whatever. So that mm-hmm. sounds awesome. Yeah, what, uh, mm-hmm. what what else is the uh, Q branch of the Coast Guard cooking up over there? What, what other projects you guys have or looking down the road in the next 10 years? So uh, what what do we got to get excited about? Well, the uh, interesting development uh, that, you know, Mr. Craig and I have both been involved in is uh, we, CG7 has chartered a new uh, cross-functional, a UXS cross-functional working group. Uh, that's another mouthful and UXS may be a new acronym for you. Mm-hmm. Never heard Basically, that one. It's, yeah, it's unmanned systems where the X is a variable for all types of unmanned systems. So unmanned aircraft, unmanned ground vehicle, unmanned underwater systems, unmanned surface systems like surface of the ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that working group has been chartered to develop a strategy for, um, Coast Guard use of all types of unmanned systems and how we can, you know, leverage those to better accomplish our missions. So we are, you know, we're definitely thinking of, of that far future, 10, 20, 30 years out. How do we need to be using these things? Um, obviously, ISR is, you know, surveillance is probably the most uh, clear application for unmanned aircraft. But we need to think about how. You know, what about things that go underwater? What can we use those for? Or boats that can be out more persistently with sensors, you know, creating a, a picket line in key choke points for migrant and drug smuggling, things like that. And then how do we enable those things to be effective using things like artificial intelligence and, you know, sophisticated data architecture? 
Mm. Um, so lots of really interesting conversations. We definitely have, uh, our work cut out for us to come up with a, you know, a strategy that really makes sense. And it's actually something that is, can be accomplished. That's awesome. That's neat to see the Coast Guard is looking that far forward into the future. Um, Mr. Craig, can you talk about any of the like particular portfolio items that you're uh, excited about? Yeah, sure thing. Um, so not, not particularly aviation related, but you know, we're really starting to look heavily uh, at unmanned maritime systems. So surface and subsurface vessels that are uh, autonomous, um, more autonomous than unmanned. You don't really need anybody to, to pilot them full time. Mm-hmm. And you know, how can we get those systems out there and provide additional maritime domain awareness, which is, you know, we're increasingly being called upon to do in the Coast Guard, um, you know, whether it's Central Pacific, uh, illegal, unreported, unregulated fishing, or, you know, the traditional counter-drug mission, or, um, you know, there's more, there's more and more things going on on the uh, southern maritime border, um, you know, off of San Diego and off of Corpus Christi. So those systems have, you know, potential to help out in those areas. And what's great about them is they provide a lot of persistence. You know, these they say they can sit out there indefinitely. You know, we're hoping for something that can sit out there, you know, from 30 to 90 days. Um, but, you know, there's there's drawbacks, too, because they're very big. One of the ones we're working with right now is about 14 feet in length. You know, it weighs under 300 pounds. Um, it's solar and wind powered. It can do maybe five knots. So, you know, they're not very capable in terms of what they can carry sensor-wise or their speed or anything. So we've got to kind of weigh those trade-offs, you know, does that persistence uh, and their relative low cost make up for the fact that, you know, they're not particularly capable, like I said, in terms of speed and everything. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're working on that right now. But I, I, I also want to touch on back, you know, back to the aviation side and away from um, unmanned systems. Um, we're seeing a lot of really cool technology. Um, are you guys familiar with uh, VIDAR or LIDAR, uh, visual detection and ranging or um, laser detection and ranging? Yeah, yes, sir. D- generally, you want to explain it for us? Yeah, so so VIDAR, VIDAR is on the Scan Eagle now, visual detection and ranging. And, and really what it is, it's you know, an array of high-definition cameras mm-hmm. or being now where they've incorporated this software into the EOIR ball. So your EOIR ball can just be kind of on a, you know, rotating around on its own. Um, and what it's doing is just picking up color anomalies on the ocean. So if it sees oh. anything that's not bluish, grayish, white, it'll notify you, like give you a little thumbnail of like, hey, here's here's something that's black or orange. And then you can take a quick look at it and go, yeah, that's, it, that's a person in the water or, or whatever it is we might be looking for. That's cool. Um, and so it's really an autonomous search function. And I think our next generation of, um, you know, EOIR balls that we're going to incorporate on the aircraft will, will hopefully have that function. Because uh, we really haven't we really haven't solved the how do you find a person in the water problem. Um, you know, we're still doing it the same way they did it 50 years ago, 80 years ago for the most part, which is with our eyeball. Yeah. So that, you know, that's got the promise there. And LIDAR does as well. LIDAR, uh, a little bit doesn't have quite the range you know you're you're looking at under a couple of kilometers with laser detection and uh ranging um but it can it can it can give you a very accurate picture of the uh, surface of the ocean so say a nighttime search um a lidar sensor could potentially pick up a person in the water where we're never going to find it with you know even with nbgs we might not find it uh, you know maybe you 
stumble across it with the FLIR, maybe not, but you know, that's, that's certainly a technology that, uh, that could work there. So some, some, uh, some exciting stuff coming along, uh, with those sensors, I think. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. It's really interesting with all the, um, aviation, like a recap going on and modernization programs on the C-130, the 60, the 65 and, uh, missionizing the C-27. Like you said, it, it's kind of wild that we just look out the window and hopefully with your eyeballs, you find something. So that'd be awesome capability to bring. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'm glad Chad brought up the, uh, MQ-9 cause that's, uh, you know, our biggest and baddest, uh, UAS right now. So <laughs> and that won't, uh, I'm just curious too, that that's, is that something that's going to end up getting into our, uh, portfolio where we will fly for Coast Guard missions or is that just going to be a CBP, uh, assist kind of mission? We're never putting a racing stripe on one, right? Yeah. That's what I was curious about. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure, uh, GA would be happy to, to do that as general atomics. The, uh, yeah. the oh, they build it. Manufacturer of, yes, sir. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, there, there is some, some real potential there. That's, you know, it's a topic that always comes up. Um, and you know, when it does money is always a problem. Um, but there is the possibility and we are talking about it as we're, you know, we're talking about a future, like what does the future fleet look like? Um, talking, you know, all sorts of aviation assets and it, you know, it looks like where we're headed is, um, many, a few is the term. So few being a few different platforms So consolidate, you know, our, our fixed wing platforms into just one, probably the C-130 mm-hmm. and our rotary wing platforms into just one, probably the 60, um, but get more of those to cover all the mission sets. That model would also include a long-range UAS platform. So the potential is there for Coast Guard to put some of our own MQ-9, um, and and that's very you know there's no solid plans to do that, but it's definitely something that we're we're discussing. And and you know from my perspective, make you know I think it makes sense. Yeah, so, yeah. If the Coast Guard won the lottery, yeah, Guard, we might be buying some. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, what a the the, the counter drug, counter migrant mission, especially, you know, what a what a, that mission's just perfect for a long range UAS. You know, when I was flying the C one thirty, but you you never wanted to see those guys visually. You either wanted them on your radar, uh, you know, and your EOIR and you know, and that's it. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, you know, if you're gonna see them visually, they might see you and then the then the whole game's up. But so so that's a great uh area for long range UAS. Um, and one of the, and from the R and D perspective, one of the things we're really interested in is there's a lot of, um, you know, the MQ nine is pretty expensive. Um, we're seeing a lot of, uh, newer, new technology out there. Um, you know, UAS is with endurance is up to 40 hours or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they're considerably cheaper. Um, they're, a lot of them are based on just, you know, general aviation type aircraft, um, that have been converted, you know, take out where the pilots sit and fill it up with fuel and some sensors. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they can just loiter out there for, for quite a while at a relatively low cost. And if you do that 24 seven, you know, if you don't, in other words, don't just bring them down occasionally, but just have them dedicated to doing that. Um, you, you really see, that's where you really see the cost benefit of uh, switching to that type of platform as opposed to using, you know, a C-130 or, you know, even the MQ-9. Yeah. That's fascinating. I mean, that, that would be such a huge leap in, uh, the coast guards, like counter narcotics or, uh, human trafficking missions. I mean, having eyes on all the time would be impressive. 
right? And that, uh, and you know, imagine this scenario where you have a capability like that, but it's fed, you know, the sensor data is fed into a, you know, sophisticated data architecture that, you know, it saves the data, it transports it to the folks that need it. It's enabled by artificial intelligence to, you know, analyze that data, watch for, you know, having that persistent capability allows you to start learning about patterns of life. So we start to, you know, we start to know where the, you know, the smugglers are going to be before they're there. And so rather than being, you know, a reactive Coast Guard like, like we are, we start to be more proactive where we put the assets where they need to be before the, you know, the end game gets there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, that's where the, you know, you talked about it, the game changing capability. That's where, you know, you, you have the, the capability um, in place and you have it enabled by these, um, you know, other technologies that really allow us to take advantage of that information. Um, that's where the, you know, the game really does change is the, you know, taking advantage of that information, which is something that we're, you know, frankly not doing well at this point. Yeah. Um, changing, changing gears. I had another question. Um, so you guys operate on a lot of new ideas. Do you, do you have like an open door policy where like somebody just shoots the R and D guys an email like, Hey, what do we do this? Like I, I'm sitting here looking at the MQ eight for, uh, the fire scout for the Navy and like, Hey, is it ever possible to put guns on that thing and fly it out of Hitron and then they can take boats out? Like, I don't know. I was just, does that happen? Does that happen to you guys? Uh, when we build our annual um, R&D portfolio, we solicit the entire fleet. You know, we go out uh, and say, um, hey, you know, R&D portfolio is being built for next year. What do you guys, you know, what do you want to see? Uh, now, of course, we're working closely with, uh, for, in my, for my, you know, for me, with Chad and his office and the other aviation offices. But we always want to hear from the fleet as well, you know, what they think. Mm-hmm. Um and in addition to that, um, you know, the, we run some innovation programs within the within R and D where they're always soliciting, you know, those quick hitting good ideas. So there's a website called Coast Guard Ideas at Work. Mm-hmm. You just Google it, or you know, uh, from your workstation, you should be able to find it. Um, I'll shoot you guys the link though. You know, maybe you can share it. Yeah, we could. Again. Yeah, we've got the link, and yeah, we could share it on our podcast notes. Good point. Yeah, we have a, we have different campaigns running. So we have our annual R and D portfolio build, but then we have these innovation campaigns that are pretty much running year round. And mm-hmm. again, we're always looking for ideas there, and 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 we and we take them and we develop them, and then we vote on them um, with all the programs at headquarters. You, you know, kind of at the uh, at the O six level, and and figure out which of those we want to go for. So we yeah, so we're definitely taking those great ideas that come from the field. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, so what about my idea, sir? MQ8 for uh, Hitron replacement with guns on it. Seems a lot less dangerous. <laughs> like a lot. Yeah, landing that thing at night on a cutter is way, way better. Than yeah. 65. Yep. I don't know. More endurance. Yep. I don't know if you could actually shoot out of that thing uh, accurately. Probably. I don't know. Yeah, the, the lawyers would have a field day with that. Uh, an, oh, an yeah. Thing shooting at, you know, their suspects, right? They're not they're not criminals yet. Well, they're just unflagged vessels. Was, We're just trying to get, just trying to board them to, uh, to figure out what country they're from. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's right. But look at even, 
even now with the Scan Eagle and the over at the Horizon boats, um, you know, they, they can do probably 95% of what needs to be done, you know, without the, uh, the Hitron aircraft. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my last drug bust on the C-130, um, there, there was no Scan Eagle, but it was us. The 65 was, uh, was broken. So they launched their OTH, you know, 25 miles out mm-hmm. and we vectored, uh, for the intercept. Uh, you know, again, the Scan Eagle can do that, that, that piece we did. And, you know, maybe, maybe you don't need that Hitron aircraft all the time. Yeah. I mean, it's gotta be nice to be a, a Hitron pilot and have a drone do all of the everything before going out and taking the uh, disabling fire shot. I would imagine that would be a nice way to do it. Oh yeah. Yeah. The, the, uh, cutter COs and ops bosses and the Hitron pilots as well, you know, lots of praise for the, the scan Eagle capability and j- really just in the operational flexibility that it provides. Cause if you get that, scan eagle overhead your target it can loiter there keep an eye on it and then you can take your time to you know to prosecute the end game um rather than launching at you know 4 a.m when the thing is first sighted you can wait until after breakfast and you know launch at a more gentlemanly Mm -hmm. hour Mm -hmm. um yeah, I feel uh, like that's the yeah. same same thing for my uh, late night uh, flare sighting. I can sleep in and then wake up and do my first light instead of flying from three a.m. to nine a.m. Yeah, ready to go if they find something. Yeah, ready to go if you find. Perhaps they could drop a raft or yep. you know, I'm sure there's lots of possibilities there. Yeah, right. Yeah, uh, let me address the question you asked about. You know, how can you know just everyday aviator um, input into this? Like, what's the Coast Guard doing next? Um, the ideas that work through the RDC, that's probably the primary means. Right. Um, another good uh, good strategy would be um, just for, you know, the awareness of the listeners, land area and pack area have uh, significant influence on what goes on at headquarters. And so if you can convince your, your uh, air station CEO that you have a really good idea, if he feeds that up, through, you know, the Office of Aviation Forces at Lant or PAC mm-hmm. um, and convince them that it's a good idea. And then we get the message through that channel that carries a lot of weight. That's good to know. Yeah, the politics behind that, it. Yeah, it's that operational feedback that the folks at headquarters are, are always looking for. Absolutely. Um, sidebar question for you, Commander. What's the, uh, what's IPSO like? Or uh, you said it, International Port Security? <laughs> Is that a good uh, aviation sidetrack for our listeners? Uh, well, it's um, yes and no. It's very, you know, it's a very interesting opportunity, you know, broadening experience. Um, if your goal is to become a air station CEO, it's not, you know, it's not the traditional path. Not to say that it, it's not a possible path if you time it correctly in your career. But uh, as far as, you know, broadening your horizons, uh, learning about the world, doing some joint things. You, you learn a lot about the how the State Department functions, mm-hmm. um, as well as working with the DOD attaches at the embassies. Um, so you get a lot of um, experience that OCs don't typically get, and it, and it is valuable uh, to you know apply to your you know later on in your career. But uh, you, you have to be creative in how you. You know, how you time that career-wise if you're trying to, you know, get that pre-command tour followed by the, you know, the coveted CO tour. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Also a great track though. If you want to jump out aviation, do something completely different. That's what it sounds like to me. That's really neat. Yeah, for sure. There, there are definitely some, uh, international opportunities that, you know, a lot of folks aren't aware of and that that's, uh, one of them. It does seem like the, uh, uh, being an aviator does not close any doors to uh, out of aviation specialty like staff jobs. Seems like a lot of staff jobs are, are willing to take aviators if they're if they're looking for the aviation break or uh, like you said, commander like broadening horizons tour. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. True statement. Uh, yeah, Mr. Craig. I mean, how is it dropping the uh, the flight suit and and the flying and then coming back as a civilian? Are you are you enjoying? coming back in that capacity you wish you could do more or just curious no i i am um I, you know i frankly my last 10 11 years uh you know as an 05 and an 06 um i thought you know I, it was it was fantastic it was pretty demanding though and mm-hmm. um so i was kind of glad just to like you know kind of chill out a little bit and take a job you know it's really a technical job um and just supporting you know the aviation fleet um and I've kind of just enjoyed that and just, mm-hmm. you know, the focus that I do miss, I absolutely miss the flying. Um, and I absolutely miss the wardrobe. So, uh, but you know, we all got to move on at some point. So this is where I am and I'm, I'm still happy to be involved with the Coast Guard and, and be doing my part for aviation where I can. Yeah. I mean, I hope, hopefully, uh, what 7-Eleven's having beers every once in a while. Cause you guys are all pilots up there. <laughs> yeah. Is there a Wednesday social at headquarters? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. 7-Eleven, I would say is, uh, you know, based on my two years here. And of course it's the only office I've worked in, but we definitely kind of maintain that, you know, aviator wardroom atmosphere within the office. So I think we have more fun than the average headquarters office. That's good to hear. Yeah. It's really good to hear. Cool. Well, um, we like to wrap up our shows with just asking you guys what kind of, uh, good aviation advice that you've had, uh, over the years that's, that's proven well or, uh, for your career or valuable to you or any aviation advice you got for our, uh, young upstarts coming up through the organization. Well, you know, before I go there, I would be remiss in my responsibilities as the UAS division chief. If I didn't mention the JPO, our uh, joint program office, which is, uh, joint program with uh, CBP. Oh, and down in Corpus? The MQ-9. Yeah, down, well, it used to be down in Corpus. Now it's in uh, San Angelo, Texas. They've consolidated all the Coast Guard billets there. Uh, so we have a handful of pilots and a handful of uh, sensor operators, you know, blue suit Coast Guard folks um, operating that MQ-9, a, a long-range UAS platform. Um, and there's some potential for growth in that program. Um, they, you know, that being a CBP owned asset, they primarily focus their time on the uh, Southwest border, as you might imagine, but they've, they've also recently done a few deployments where they send the, you know, the unmanned asset down to Panama mm-hmm. and attack, attack the giant of South mission. Um, and so it's been a very effective, uh, ISR platform, you know, in the counter drug, counter migrant, um, world. Uh, so if you got, you know, any pilots who are looking at doing something different, a little interesting, getting a new skill set, there's opportunity there for you know, learning how to fly an unmanned platform down at the uh, JPO. Cool. Um, just a quick question. Is there a beach still in that new part of Texas or do we move it to to the middle of Texas somewhere? I'm pretty sure there's no beaches. 
All right, so there's a, folks, if you want to go to a beautiful beach, go to the UAS program. That's what I heard from Commander. That's awesome, sir. Thanks for sharing that. Um, yeah, yeah, no problem. Cool. Uh, yeah, and Mr. Craig, any any parting shots? Yeah, you know, my uh, my first CO in um, Savannah, uh, Captain Tom Steckler, um, he said, you know, we were talking to the wardrobe one day, he said, hey, the ante into the game is being a good pilot. And, and, and what he meant was probably obvious, but... Um, you know, before we hear anything else about great ideas you might have, <laughs> we want to see you be a good aviator. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, become uh, accomplished there and, um, you know, then you'll move on to do uh, bigger and better and greater things. And I think we all know that inherently, but it's a good thing to remind everybody of uh, once in a while, especially those uh, people new to the uh, fleet. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. That's, that's a great point. Definitely. Uh become a master at, uh, at that craft first before moving on. Um, and I'm sorry, uh, commander, I, I kind of steamrolled you on one. Uh, did not give you a chance to give us any parting uh, advice or advice that's been really helpful for you over the years? Yeah, no worries. Um, yeah. One, one thing I thought of when I saw this question, um, and I couldn't say attribute it to anyone specifically, but advice that I've heard before and tried to uh, live by is, never stop learning. And I think that, you know, this applies to aviation as well as, you know, the topic today, we're talking innovation and just the life, you know, mm-hmm. I'm sure, uh, you know, pilots have to learn a lot of stuff and we probably forget more than we've learned. So, you know, in order to stay ahead of the forgetfulness, we got to, you know, keep learning a craft like Mr. Craig said, but also, you know, if we're going to develop those, you know, what's coming next, what's the, new thing to be more effective at our mission, more capable. Um, we've got to keep learning. Um, so that, that would be my parting shot. That's great advice. I mean, I guess that tracks too, coming back from uh, a Europe job where you're speaking French, right? <laughs> <Bien sûr. laughs> I don't know what that means. Yeah, I like that though. <laughs>